Come together now and uh, read God's Word. Can you hear me? All right. Uh, I'm actually louder without a mic, so don't tempt me. But uh, yeah, we're coming together now to read God's Word, and uh, especially uh, as we uh, come and uh, participate together of Holy Week, uh, certainly a, a season that's very special as, as we uh, consider the church calendar, uh, a time where we can come together and uh, just be amazed, uh, pause of this great redemption that we have received in God's love for us and His grace through Christ. But there's also another aspect about Holy Week that uh, I think it should be important, it's in the midst of such uh, glorious love is how lost and confused the disciples were uh, so much of that time. Uh, even in this uh, passage that we're going to consider this evening, uh, two things had just happened. Christ had just washed the feet of the disciples. Uh, uh, astonishing sample of love that surely perplexed them greatly. Uh, and then, even then, Christ also announced that one of them would betray them. Uh, what strange and awkward uh, moment that had to become, even, at that, even then. How to reconcile these two things for them. Uh, how to think that God would still have a purpose and a plan in the midst of such a gift of love and just some war such warning of betrayal. This was the context of uh, the disciples, and it is ours as well. So let us come together and read. We're going to read uh, John 13, beginning in verse 31 through verse 35. And this is God's word. Uh, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you indeed for your word, that by the gift of your spirit, it will be true, uh, challenging, but also encouraging to our hearts in this evening. As we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So indeed, as we come to this passage, we see that that night indeed was a challenging night for the disciples. In fact, Christ knew that they were, at this point, confused and distressed. And even perhaps more astonishing is the fact that He could not comfort them at that moment. And that indeed uh, should perhaps even surprise us, that He could not comfort them at that moment. For before He could comfort them, he would have to die for him. And all the things that had to occur uh, for their redemption still had not taken place. 
That had to be a very difficult and challenging time, clearly not just for the disciples, but even for Christ himself as their Lord and Savior. But even then, still, Christ is living with them, is shaping uh, in their context memories and signs uh, that would stay with them even in their memories uh, so that one day uh, they could come back to this uh, moment and realize that God's glory was uh, present and His love was present even when they could not see it at that time. That this uh, season, when uh, during his passion, uh, would be the saddest, most terrible day that they perceived in his ministry was also, in fact, the day where he was being glorified and when he was showing forth his love. Love that indeed conquers fear. And that's the main idea this evening. That when the pain and suffering of this world block our ability to see God as a God that is redeeming all things, redeeming our lives, but also redeeming our moments, our history, our stories. If we are troubled to see God as a God that redeems everything, that we are, are to look to the cross. So, because if by His love, He was able to even redeem the cross this tool of judgment and death, how much more could He redeem everything, our souls, and even every moment, so that then we would come, and even they would come to know that love indeed conquers fear. So He wanted them to know, so that even if they couldn't see it then, that they could later look back and realize that God, God's glory comes in dark, in a dark and broken world. His glory is indeed at work. I mean, we experience fear many times because our assumptions, our expectations of how Christ should work in my life at this time, it's actually wrong. And we struggle to then to reconcile uh, my idea of how God is at work or should be at work to glorify Himself in my life with the reality of how my life is. And when I can reconcile those things, uh, we turn to fear. See, we assume that glory only inhabits happy and good moments. We think that glory only inhabits when things are beautiful and happy. And you see, we, we think this way. This is why uh, when we become aware that somebody's coming to our home to visit, uh, most of us immediately will go into a frenzy of, cleanse, of cleaning the place and purifying the place and making it look nice and orderly because good things happen when things are in the right place. And that's understandable, but not so with God's glory. Because God's glory was made to come and shine forth in dark and broken places. And this is what Christ wanted the disciples to know. This is why Christ, in this most confusing, chaotic, and uh, uh, dreadful moment, He stands in the middle of their own perplexion of, did He say someone's going to betray Him? 
And it's right then and there that guy stand, Christ stands and says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. That's the context of those words. And God is glorified in him. And God will glorify him at once. You can almost feel the conviction and the passion which he had to have said those words to them even at that moment. Because his love indeed can overtake tragedy and difficulty and confusion. Even as then his glory may move in that we may know his love, his presence with us. This is why the cross is hope for us. Above everything, of course, the gospel comes and takes away our sin, our uh, guilt, our shame. But another thing that the cross takes away or should take away is our own illusions and perceptions of how Christ is at work even in the most difficult of times and moments. It's, it's, the gospel should function like a lens so that we are able to, uh, through that, receive a new perspective about what really is happening in our lives. And the gospel, if it's in our hearts, is with us even when we don't get it at the time, but it's also with us later so that we may look back and see that very reality. See, this is why Christ in the midst of their disciples' perplexion, in just two verses, 31 and 32, says five times the word glorify. He wanted them to know that that was the moment where God the Father was glorifying the Son. Now, this is not about minimizing the reality of our pain and suffering. Uh, none of this was automatic for the disciples, and certainly it isn't automatic for us as well. But it still remains true that God's glory was there, that His love was there, that He still was in control. He still was within the plan of redemption for His people, even as we at times can experience that, can see it in our own struggles as this life comes our way, even as Christ would come to, this, to the cross to absorb our sin and our pain, God's glory was present there. So, and this is all starting and uh, taking shape on this Monday, Thursday, in the middle of this scene and uh, a challenging situation in which they find themselves. You see, we often ask, and we are concerned about, uh, uh, in to show God's love into my neighbor, how do I contextualize the gospel to today? How do I contextualize the gospel today so that my neighbor can see it? When at times we should be asking, Lord, won't you contextualize my day to the gospel? Won't you contextualize uh, this experience I have even now according to the lens of the gospel, the way of the gospel, the salvation, the grace, and the love of the gospel? You see, just when you may think, and I may think that things are just getting really confusing on this Monday, Thursday, it gets worse. For in verse 33, he says, and I'm leaving you. And where I'm going, 
you cannot come. And how to make sense of that other paradox? Well, you just said that uh, God is glorifying you now. And now you say, you're leaving? You washed our feet. You gave us love. And then you say that one of us is going to betray you? God is glorifying himself, and you say you're leaving, and we can't follow you? How to make sense of that? How to trust that he has a plan, that indeed things are going according to plan? They would endure seeing him ripped away, carried away from them, almost helplessly, taken, so that even after the resurrection, even when then surely... They had to be thinking, okay, you, you fixed it. You got it now. And he's still telling them, I got to go. I told you, I got to go. Certainly, we had to ask, as the disciples surely did that time, how is this helpful? How to make sense of this? How to trust? And you see, what we need to realize and what Christ wanted the disciples to realize was that Christ in becoming God in the flesh, that allowed him to be with them, to love them, to teach them, to wash their feet, and sure, in time to die for them. But what about then, them being disciples? How about them really fulfilling uh, the commandment that he had just given to them to love as he had loved them? What about that? You see, an amazing reality is that this would not happen if Christ was merely in front of them. Remember I told you earlier that he could hardly comfort them at that time. And this is the next thing that he wanted them to see, that God's presence would be real. In fact, more real in his absence. So the incarnation allowed the crucifixion for us. On our behalf, but the transformation of the cross, of that moment in that Monday, Thursday, would only be, not if he was in front of them, but if he was in them. For our God in the flesh. It's an amazing truth, mind-blowing as that is, God in the flesh. Still that, he could not inhabit the heart of men. If he was in front of them. So Christ would need another way to comfort them. So that indeed he could come to comfort them. Um, and in fact, he would take this other uh, third, eternal third person of the Trinity to come and be a new comforter for them. Who he would call the other comforter. And in fact, chapters 14 through 16 is Christ uh, struggling and sticking there with the disciples, trying to explain them uh, to them why this was important, what it would come to mean for them even in that, in that day, that their loss was gain. See, we, we too grieve not having Christ in front of us physically. And, and this is why we get to yearn for his second coming. And so that becomes for us hope because we know he's in us and yet we know that one day we will see him when he comes again. And this is not only hope, but it's empowering. It is so empowering. Um, 
that it would mean that his law would become a delight for them. This is why he could speak to them a new commandment. Not a new commandment in that it had never been said before, but it was new in the way it would come to them. For you see, Christ who could uh, give them a new law, who would inaugurate a new covenant and would give them a new comforter, um, had glorified himself and given them his love so that they would receive this, so that it would be true in their hearts. So now, the law would be a delight to love, not like we want to love, but to love the way he has loved us. Not because we've been told to do so, or uh, not because um, it is part of a to-do list, but because it's written in our hearts. It's written in a place where it mashes all of a sudden out of us a passion that allows that love to come and be possible to them. And he inaugurated, and he would inaugurate that in the following passages when he would raise the cup and say, this is the cup of my blood shed for you. This is the bread and broke the bread. This is the bread that is my body that is broken for you. The final, the true sign and seal that he would leave for them even that night. For you see, the world does not need you to be a hero or a heroine. The world does not need you to pretend that you're not, you don't cry, that you don't shed tears. It doesn't need you to um, ignore your pain or to uh, just take it, but rather to be willing to show and tell this love, despite the tears and the pain, not because we are capable of loving so much, but rather because we have been loved so much. And with God's Spirit as our witness, that indeed we may love one another so much that the only explanation would be that Christ indeed is in us with that love, the love that conquers fear. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word, that it is true, that indeed this, this gift that came to them as your disciples in a most confusing time, in the midst of love and betrayal, Lord, um, would be with us with announcements of truly this new comforter, this new covenant, this new sign and seal that we have received, that indeed we may be about this commandment and love as you have loved us. For we pray in your name. Amen.